Chapter Twenty Six of Traylon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Rowdy Delaney, Idaho, USA. Traylon, by Max Brand. Chapter Twenty Six. The Critique of Pure Reason. Speaking of hard cattlemen, he said, "I could maybe tell you a few things, son." No doubt of it," smiled Anthony. "I presume it would take a very hard man to handle this crowd." "Fairly hard," nodded the redoubtable Lawler. "But they ain't nothing to the men that used to ride the range in the old days." "No, nope. One of them men, why, he'd eat a dozen like Kilrain and think nothing of it. Them was the sort I learned to ride the range with." I've heard something about a fight which you and John Bard had against the Piatto gang. Care to tell me anything of it? Lawler lolled easily back in his chair and balanced a second big drink between thumb and forefinger. There ain't no harm in talk, son. Sure, I'll tell you about it. What do you want to know? The way Bard fought, the way you both fought. Let me see. He closed his eyes like one who strives to recollect. He was, in fact, carefully recalling the skeleton of facts which Drew had told him earlier in the day. Six months, me and Bard had been trailing Piatto. Damn his old soul, Bard. He'd have quit cold a couple of times, but I kept him at it. John Bard would have quit. Asked Anthony softly. Sure, he was a big man, was Bard, but he didn't have none too much endurance. Go on, asked Anthony. Six months, I say. We was riding day and night. Wearing out a hoss about every week at that time, then we just got a hint from a bartender that maybe the Piatos was nearby in that section. It didn't need no more than a hint for us to get busy on the trail. We hit a circle through those mountains. It was over near Twin Rivers, where the ground ain't got a level stretch of a hundred yards in a whole day's riding. Along about evening of the second day, we come to the house of Tom Shaw, a squatter. Bard would have passed the house up. Because he knew Shaw and said there was nothing crooked about him, but I didn't trust nobody in them days, and I ain't changed a pile since. That remarked Anthony is a good example. I think I shall follow. Eh? said Lawler somewhat blankly. Well, we rode up on the blind side of the house from the north. See, got off and sneaked around to the east end of the shack. The windows was covered with cloths on the inside, which didn't make me none too sure about Shaw having no dealings with crooks. It ain't ordinary for a feller to be savin' on light. Pretty soon we found a tear in one of the claws, and lookin' through, we seen old Piatto sittin' beside Tom Shaw with his daughter on the other side. We went back to the north side of the house and figured out different ways of tacklin' the job. There was only two of us, see, and the fellers inside that house were all cut out for man killers. How would you have gone after 'em, son? Opened the door, I suppose, and started shooting," said Bard. If I had the courage. The other stared. You heard this story before? Not this part. Well, that was just what we done. First off, it sounds like a fool way of tacklin' them, but when you think twice, it was the best of all. They never was expectin' anybody fool enough to walk right into the room and start fightin'. We went back and had a look at the door. It wasn't none too husky. John Bard he tried the latch, soft, but the thing was locked, and when he pulled, there was a snap. Who's there? Hollers someone inside. We froze again the side of the house, looking at each other pretty sick. Nobody's there, sings out the voice of Piatto. We can trust Tom Shaw. 
just because he knows that if he double-crossed us, he'd be the first man to die. And we heard Tom say, sort of quaverin', God's sakes, boys, what do you think I am? Now, says Bard, and we both put our shoulders to the door, and takes our guns in our hands. We each had two. The door went down like nothing, because we was both husky fellers in them days. And as she smashed in, the fall upset two of the boys sitting closest, and gave em no chance on a quick draw. The rest of em was too paralyzed at first, except old Piato. He pulled his gun, but what he shot was Tom Shaw, who just leaned forward in his chair and crumpled dead. We went at em pumpin' lead. It wasn't no fight at first, and half of em was down before they had their guns workin'. But when the real hell started, it was no fireside story, I'll tell a man. We had the jump on em, but they meant business. I dropped to the floor and lay on my side shootin'. Bard, he followed suit. They went down like tin-pins till our guns were empty. Then we up and rushed what was left of em, Piato and his daughter. Bard makes a pass to knock the gun out of the hand of Joan, and wallops her in the head instead. Down she goes. I finished Piato. Broke his back, eh? Me? Who ever heard of breaking a man's back? Ha, ha, ha. You been hearing fairy tales, son. Nope, I choked the old rat. Were you badly hurt? Lawler searched his memory hastily. There was no information on this important point. Couple of grazes, he said, dismissing the subject with a tolerant wave of the hand. Nothing worth talking about. I see, Bard nodded. It occurred to Lawler that his guest was taking the narrative in a remarkably philosophic spirit. He reviewed his telling of the story hastily, and could find nothing that jarred. He concluded, that was the way of living in them days. They ain't no more. They ain't no more. And now, Anthony said, the only excitement you get is out of books and running the laborers? He picked up the book which Lawler had just laid down. Oh, I read a bit now and then, said the cowpuncher easily. But I ain't much on book learning. Bard was turning the pages slowly. The title, whose meaning dawned slowly on his astonished mind as a sunset comes in winter over a gray landscape, was the critique of pure reason. He turned the book over and over in his hands. It was well thumbed. He asked, controlling his voice, Are you fond of Kant? Eh? queried the other. Fond of this book. Yep, that's one of my favorites. But I ain't much on any books. However, said Bard, the story of this one is interesting. It is. There's some great stuff in it, mumbled Lawler, trying to squint at the title, which he had quite overlooked during the days in which he first picked it up. Bard laid the book aside and out of sight. And I like the characters, don't you? Some very close work done with them. Yep, there's a lot of narrow escapes. Exactly. I'm glad we agree about books. So am I. Feller can kill a lot of time chinning about books. Yes, I suppose a good many people have killed time over this book. And as he smiled genially upon the cowpuncher, Bard felt a great relief sweeping over him, a mighty gladness that this was not Drew, that this loose-lipped gabbler was not the man who had written the epitaph over the tomb of Joan Piatto. He lied about the book. He had lied about it all. And knowing that this was not Drew, he suddenly felt as if someone were watching him from behind, someone large and gray and stern of eye, like the giant who had spoken to him so long before in the arena at Madison Square Garden. A game was being played with him, and behind that game must be Drew himself. All Bard could do was wait for developments. The familiar, booming voice of Shorty Kilrain echoed through the house. 
Supper! And a loud clangor of a bell supported the invitation. Chow time, breathed Lawler heavily, like one relieved at the end of a hard shift of work. I figure you ain't sorry, son. No, answered Bard, but it's too bad to break off this talk. I've learned a lot. End of chapter 26